Hello, everyone. This episode is a bit of a special one. It's an interview conducted on Clubhouse about alternative art programs and was originally recorded on the app during a live event in October 2021. So please forgive the audio quality. You are listening to Pep Talks for Artists, a podcast offering small words of encouragement to all those shuffling along the artist's road. I'm your host, Amy Toledo. My co-host Jennifer Coates and I were really excited to interview Patty Johnson of Art F City and Workshop, Sarah Grass, an artist professor at SVA and founder of The Pack, and Catherine Haggerty, artist, educator, and co-founder of NYC Crit Club. They each spoke to us about their unique artist programs. All three programs offer great real-world advice and resources to artists, both in the studio and on the career side, and are mostly available via Zoom, with some in-person offerings. And they all serve a multi-generational international community. I can't wait to share the conversation here on the Pep Talks pod. Here we go. I wanted to introduce really quickly um, Patty Johnson, and welcome, Patty, um, is a creator of Art F City Blog, a well esteemed um, New York City art review blog. And she runs a workshop uh, that supports emerging and mid career artists by building networks necessary to create a sustainable living in the arts, um, including one on one coaching or help with writing statements and, and help with websites. And also, um, she offers um, additional instructors and guest um, instructors or guest crits. Um, and so I guess I just wanted to start off with how long has Art F City uh, been publishing art writing? I started the blog Art F City in 2005. So, and, um, you know, we don't publish very much anymore. But when I started in 2005, there was sort of a slow burn um, until um you know, we really reached kind of a critical mass, which I would say sort of between 2008 and 2012 were really um, when we had uh, the highest amount of traffic and we, we did a lot of really, I mean, kind of exciting things at the time where we were working with artists um, to produce essays. We, uh, I went to I was constantly reviewing shows um, in New York City and whenever I was flown elsewhere um, on the blog. Um, and it was uh, very well read at the time. And it was a very good way for me um, to kind of self-educate. So there was a lot of learning in public, which I really believe is um, sort of what happens on social media. Um, and as social media has matured, we've seen, um, I think, both a, um, I guess, reduction in tolerance for that learning and also a kind of acceptance at the same time. So on the one hand, you see a lot of sort of uh, flame wars and a lot of things that one would, would want to really avoid um, and make social media a kind of toxic place. But it's also... 
Um, the same environment that I think has uh, bred a lot of these, um, the necessity for a lot of these online um, learning environments that uh, I think are have been so Im important um, for artists because it is a way to um, scare, share, share skills and, um, uh, you know, learn in public, but within a more safe space. Yeah. Like the landscape changes so rapidly now, like in 2005, I'm sure it was a shockingly different world than it is now. I mean, Instagram alone has become so professionalized for artists since then. Yeah, I mean, in 2005, there was no Facebook, right? Like, so that's, I mean, there was, but like, I think I, I think it was me and like three friends that were using it. So, um, you know, social media blogs were social media at that time. And, um, you know, one of the exciting things about Art F City was always what happened in the comments. So there'd be a post, but then it was really the, the kind of um, discussion and debate that happened around a lot of the shows that was really exciting. Now, a lot of that conversation has migrated elsewhere. Um, but during that time, I think there was a lot of, um, there was just a lot of enthusiasm for the kinds of conversations you could have online. And it brought together people who didn't previously know each other. Um, and I think that's what we see. Uh, we've seen that happen uh, in cycles, right? Like, Instagram did that. Clubhouse has done that. Um, even uh, Google Plus did that. If, if there are any dinosaurs out there who remember what that was. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for me, your career has been so impressive because you're right with the comments of Art F City. You're basically that's networking. I mean, you're networking with other professionals there. You're such a self-starter. You started this blog on your own, and look how how it's blossomed into this amazing st like staple of the New York art world. And um, you also have been writing so such a long time. You have so much experience. I just can't. I just think the students are lucky to have a resource like you in your in your class at workshop. And I just wanted to, um, what I, what was interesting to me on your website was that although you've been writing for a long time with Art F City and running that blog, um, Workshop itself is a newer endeavor. And, and, and on your website, it says that you started it during the pandemic. Uh, what made you want to start the program um, during that time? Well, you know, technically, I mean, there, um, technically, I actually started a workshop like a, well, the classes themselves, I started um, a little bit before that. So I started in the in January, so like two months before the pandemic really hit. And um, the reason that I started was, um, I, I don't know, it's not the sexiest of reasons, quite honestly. It was like, it was just that I was a writer and completely broke. I had no income to speak of. Because you can spend so much time researching articles and you get paid, like, even if you get paid 50 cents a word, it's not enough. Um, so I needed some money to pay my rent. So that's like, I was like, all right, I've got this mailing list. Um, I'm going to see if I can sell these classes because I do think there's, there's a need for them. And, you know, I think what I learned was that not not just that there was a need, but that um, I felt like there's kind of, I 
just over the years, I'd spent so much time doing different things. So with the Art of City, you know, I transitioned that blog to a nonprofit. So I had that experience. I had experience fundraising, making sponsorship documents, running social media accounts, um, running mailing lists. And a lot of this work was done not just to promote the blog, but to really promote the work of artists that I felt were doing important things that were not um, sort of getting enough, like the covers that I felt would be adequate. And of course, one of the things that I felt was really difficult about that job was that it was a hole too big to fill. The number of truly exceptional artists out there was just far larger than I would ever be able to work with. Um, and that, that was something that really frustrated me about the job. And like, I, you know, I don't know that workshop necessarily um, uh, solves that problem, but I am able to work with a lot more artists and help more artists. Um, then, you know, then I was able to do uh, particularly nearing nearing the end uh, days of RF City, so it felt like a really good solution to something that I um, had been really bothering me. Um, thank you so much for that. That was um, really interesting to hear um, that journey um, because it's. I, I do think of you as somebody who's really supported, um, under recognized. I, I know you've always had a. Um, you've always given a forum for digital artists, especially who aren't necessarily the most um, sought after, like, a, you know, painters, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I, too, I do hear you on that front. And, and I just want to just because um, say someone in the audience was uh, considering your your workshop. What are some of like the classes that they might find or what what kind of students come to you often? Are they beginners or professionals? So right now, workshop, um, Workshop's flagship uh, program is called Network. It's, it's less a class um, structure or a school per se. It's more um, a business network that um, provides training for professional artists. So by and large, the people in this program are mid-career artists. Pretty much, I, I would imagine, you know, anybody on this panel, not to mention other, like other artists are, um, who are here today would be, uh, would be a good match for this program. It's really for artists who are looking, maybe they have, um, you, typically with mid-career artists, they have some shows, but not, not the shows they want, you know, they, they have some press coverage, but not the press coverage they want. And this is really about upping the game a little bit so that you can get out of that mid-career trough. And part of the way that we do that is by building a network because all of, I think, artists, um, and, and I'm sure pretty much everybody on the panel will, will agree with this, a lot of the opportunities that come, come from your own network. They come from other artists. So if you can broaden that network, if you can share resources, then you start to see um, a 
a broadening of your opportunities as well. I think it's also just helpful to see that other people are struggling with the same goddamn things you are. Like it's so hard out there. It's so hard. And, and um, if somebody like, cause you know, as you know, the art world is multi-generational. Would it be common in some of your network meetings to see both older, younger artists all in, in one group is, or does it skew a certain age? I would say we have artists um, from about 35 to 70s. So, I mean, if it skews anything, it skews a little bit older. But um, I would, you know, um, most of the people that we um, have in the in in the network have been doing this a little for a little while, and are um, you know just looking um, for looking, looking for peers and also looking for guidance. So we have a, we do have a curriculum. We have regular coaching group coaching sessions. Um, those are sessions where I review things like your asset, your, your artist statement or, you know, your Instagram, how that's working for you. Um, we do things on pricing. We have regular, um, guest speakers. So, um, so there's a, there's just a lot in the uh, in the program, and then there's access to all the recordings for everything we've ever done. So that's, that's there's quite a bit there. And can anyone join, or are you? Do you kind of select people based on their level of exp- experience? We don't select people based on their experience. We um, one of the things I do find is that this is a sort of self-selecting. Um, group of people. Um, so uh, a lot of the the things that I offer once you they're not they're for people who have been in the art world long enough to say know who Hans Ulrich Oberst is. You know they're gonna know they're gonna know who Agnes Martin is. And so when I give a lecture that mentions them, like if they don't know those people, the lecture is not really going to make that much sense to them. And they're, they probably won't be interested. Um, so in that sense, it is self-selecting. We normally do, um, we'll only open up the, uh, the membership once per quarter, um, because we recently opened it up and, we're doing this today. I have the uh, the membership open for anybody who wants to join for a full day. Um, but after that, we're going to close it up and we'll be open again until January. Oh, that's awesome. Could you um, say again then, um, if anyone in the audience is in- interested in checking it out, um, where would they go to find the membership button? Uh, so the membership button, it's, um, it's on my Instagram right now. So if they went to, uh, um, the workshop Instagram, that would be the best place to find it. Um, and, uh, that's just at workshop.art. Um, but it's also on the front page of our, um, of the website. So, I think the the special thing to know about workshop that is a little bit challenging is that workshop is spelled with two V's, as in Victor, um, not W's. Um, so that's like uh, I don't know if you want to call it like a word pun uh, or let, like it's sort of a visual pun. 
I, I love it. And oh, and so and everyone, um, luckily, workshop is linked in Patty's um, clubhouse bio. So if you click on her face and go down to her Instagram, it's clicked. You can click right there and get over there if, if anyone in the audience is interested. Um, but thank you so, Patty, that sounds amazing. Like, I'm so glad I interviewed you because I had no idea you were offering all this amazing stuff. Thank you. It sounds like a really great program. Um, and I just feel like you have a lot of great experience in the art world. Um, and you have a lot to offer a student. And I love how it's really tailored to a certain level of artist. So you don't feel like the beginners, beginners and the and the people of, you know, experienced people are all mixing together, getting frustrated. It's all kind of of a certain um, level, which seems good. It is. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And everyone, please do check out Workshop's Instagram, um, clickable through the Patty's bio here, Art F City up here on top. Um, and I just wanted to also mention that at any time in the talk, if you are interested in more of these programs, you can just go to my Instagram too. And the first slide in my grid is a promo for this talk. And if you um, look down below, there's Instagram clickable links for everybody up here too. Um, and I just wanted, if you've just joined us, you're in Pep Talks for Artists tonight. It's our pleasure to be speaking to um, some alternative art schools. Uh, Patty Johnson, Catherine Haggerty, and Sarah Grass tonight. Um, so Sarah Grass runs a program called The Pack. And on your website, it says you focus on process, uh, becoming, transforming, and evolving with an emphasis on drawing. Um, and you offer a lot of goal setting, accountability, and expression. Does that sound uh, like I paraphrased it pretty okay? <laughs> that was great. Yeah, that, that's what I wrote. Um, so I guess yeah. So I I can go in a little bit um, a little bit deeper tonight since I have you all here. Yes. But I I bylined the the name the pack uh, in art school for the wild. So um, it's not just really a cheeky term, but what I mean is, uh, again, in like an alternative school, moving away from the institution, but not just the institution of the school, but also institutions that we internalize and kind of internalizing the self. So it is an accountability group and it is a goal setting group, but I think um, it's sort of, I think, uh, like the, the perfect counterpart to workshop uh, in that it's not about the business and it's not so much about being seen. Uh, it's about, or it's not about being seen by uh, a big audience. It's more about seeing yourself and being mirrored in particular by others. So, um, the reason that I started this version of an art school is because when I, I, I actually am an art teacher at SVA. So I still teach in the institution as well as outside of it. And I noticed that when people show up to art school, I teach foundations, so I get the 18-year-olds right, right at the start, that um, I noticed that the students seem to kind of not, it, they end up there because they don't fit elsewhere. There's a sort of like um, transgression that appeals to them about art school, or like a freedom, and a way of expressing this uniqueness that they have. And so um, a lot of them also come with the sort of anxiety and depression that are that our society breeds in people. And I remember being a student myself and showing up also at SBA with that same kind of turmoil and working it out through art. So working it out through 
this way of, of creating in a way an experience that was all my own. And um, I remember around the time that I was graduating my BFA that um, I was reading Temple Grandin's books and a lot of animal behavior. And there was this term stereotypy that appealed to me because it's all about animals being in captivity and having these repetitive behaviors that they use to sort of quell their anxiety. And I, I started to think, uh, because I was probably reading it in one of my little uh, box room stall studios, that I felt like an animal in captivity in there being watched by the professors. And I kind relate of... to that so much. <laughs> yeah, right? And so there was something like, you're, you're expected to be super authentic in that scenario, and you're, but you're being watched and there's something strange about it. Um, and the stereotype is considered a maladaptive behavior in animal, in animal behavior or animal uh, studies. But I always think, well, is it maladaptive or, or, or like according to what is it maladaptive? Um, and in terms of art, I think of that too. Like uh, if, an, if an artist is making something and somebody critiques it as X, then how do we know that that's actually the right opinion? And I think art school is really good at that, at kind of giving you a number of different opinions that swirl around in your head and <laughs> often lead to nervous breakdown or some kind of stressful moment. But, um, but I think what a good school does, and I, and I had this experience, I'm lucky to say that I did have it in some capacity, is that uh, like a good parent, it, it mirrors the student. So it can give you a, an understanding of who you are if the, if the professor is able to listen to you, if they're able to kind of intuit what you're doing and meet you on your level. And so um, at the core, I think what artists need is to be witnessed. Um, I think all people need to be witnessed, but artists in particular are expressing something outside themselves. And that indicates that they want to be seen. Um, not all artists, of course, but I think most. And I think like what we really want is to be seen in our authenticity. Um, but the reality is that not all artists get seen. Um, and in fact, most students who graduate from an art school don't end up being art stars and often have a hard time finding an audience. So I, uh, <laughs> I, I really think that I, I started the pack in a way to be a space that artists can go to to be seen. Um, I think that's what all these alternative art schools are for. Um, or I think any art school is to, to have a place to share your work. But also, I think it's important not only for artists to have their work seen, but their processing. And that's sort of what I was talking about with the very poetic description that you read, Amy. Um, and I think it's important also to, to be seen when you're resting, to be seen when you're not doing anything at all. So I, I think the pack is, is maybe unique in the sense that we meet and sometimes people don't have anything to show. And while there are goals and I, and I do want people to maintain a momentum, uh, occasionally there's just not and that's okay. And we often talk about what that feels like to be seen in that moment. But I think being witnessed there helps a bit to, uh, to deal with, with the shadow of that, you know, to deal with the, the uncomfortable feelings of not being productive or of not being whatever uh, success means to you, not being successful. And um, so I think that that's really, uh, that sort of fluid structure to it is really has what, what has worked for me. Um, and so 
I, I would say that the pack is essentially a, a program for witnessing and it's, it's basically two parts. There's one option where you um, are in a co-working group. So you're in a group, I think I'm, I'm deciding it's all a work in progress. So I'm deciding now to keep the groups down below 10 students. And um, I think they work best around seven, but it's a co-working group. So I do give sort of these psychological prompts for drawing. Um, and like you said, I do focus on drawing. I think it's regardless of the medium that you work in, I think it's a very direct medium and it enables us to kind of um, follow a stream of consciousness and, and mark in a very uh, sort of, what's the word? Um, I don't want to say primitive, I hate that word, but so, yeah, it's sort of like instinctual way. And um, so I give these prompts and, and we draw kind of as, as unselfconsciously as possible and share. Um, but also I, it's a space where the members of the pack can bring in their work um, and show what they're working on and get feedback as well. Uh, so that's that's one, and I think that that's very helpful because um, when you have a group, you do get more than one opinion, and you get more than one opinion in the same conversation that I think is different from, you know, soliciting advice from multiple people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, but then the second option, I, I have two classes also, but I'll, um, I'm going to introduce those just through my website. You can go there. But the second option is that I started doing intuitive art readings. And those are pretty much a very direct mirroring. So it's one-on-one -on -one with me and um, people sign up and I intuit them through a few options. Uh, I use tarot cards, astrology, and also read their artwork. So um, I'm not an art therapist, but I <laughs> have found myself to be somehow able to connect with people through this way. And I think that the, the manner of reading a person or mirroring a person is less important than, um, than the result. Um, and I think that if the result happens, it's, it's a delight or it's, a, it's kind of a, a real breakthrough for people. So, um, so the art reading, I think that that might end up you know, having multiple methods of working, but at the moment it's tarot and astrology. Uh, also, those tend to be quite popular at the moment, so people respond well to it um, in terms of accepting me reading them in that way. Um, and the goal of that is to really just go deeper into the practice because I think um, it's common in art school, or I found it common, you, you all can respond how your experience was, but I, I found it common to be read on a superficial level and often, like I said, being read in... in a superficial way that that the society is labeling you. Um, and so I think it can be just important to have a one-on-one -on -one where somebody really just witnesses you. I had that with this one, one teacher in particular and, and the effect was um, somewhat magical. He said very little to me, but uh, kind of unearthed this whole other side of my, of my art practice. So I'm trying to emulate that in some way, but, um, but that's generally the goal is to be watched, but in a deeper way than just that zoo, uh, you know, sit in the studio and work and have people watch you way. And I relate to you, to you so much because I also had a professor that was really special like that. And he would almost say like, turn off the lights. Let's look at the painting in, a, in the dark and all kinds of um, 
Oh, sorry, there's a bit of an echo. Um, oh, thank you. Sorry, Sarah. It's just one of those weird things. But um, yeah, I relate to that so much because um, that wasn't the common experience. And I went to SVA, <laughs> ironically. But um, but yeah, there was a lot of focus on trends, um, what was happening right then at that time. Um, so as a, I, I hear what you're saying about a student feeling kind of like, well, if I don't fit into these sort of trends I'm seeing, you you don't really feel like you're getting a deep connection or being seen deeply. And that's hard to sustain uh, through a career when you don't have that self core self belief. And I just wanted to um, ask you a few questions for just to, to be an advocate for the audience a little bit. Um, if if somebody was thinking of of coming, would they? What kind of student would come to the pack? Like, would it be somebody who maybe is blocked, or maybe they need they're trying to come back from a break and and need a little bit of accountability? Or what kind of student would you expect to see in the pack? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I think you're on the nose with that. It's it's people who need to create momentum again. Um, I think it can be somebody who's who's just starting out. I do have a, a number of students who are are new to making art or new to making that a regular practice. They're often um, coming from some other discipline, which is really exciting for me and, and for the rest of the people in the pack. Uh, for example, I have one uh, founder of a, a nursery school who also, you know, she does, she teaches science to children and does a lot of um, botany and gardening with children. So she's making a children's book on uh, earwigs and other un unsavory, uh, pesty insects. Um, and then on the other hand, you have artists who are, you know, had a career and then took a break and are trying to get back into it. And in either case, I think there's this sense of, um, kind of losing your uh, losing your image in the mirror as an artist, or or not having found it yet. Um, but in either case, I think there is this sense of being lost from the path and wanting to get back on it. Um, and then, you know, in some cases, it's just people want to get feedback and and have a place to go to bring their work. Um, yeah. So there's that too. Um, I love that. And I think I've heard many times, many, many people feel like a lot lost, especially if they gave up art for a while, for whatever reason, life, and they really have trouble finding their way back. So it's great to have that kind of goal setting and accountability as well to kind of help them get back in the groove. I think that's a really important um service that you do and i just wanted to ask you a couple more technical questions um you do the classes on zoom so do you do you accept artists from all over the country uh or is it mostly new york oh another good question so i actually it's international um i have the the main group the pack is on monday nights from seven it's right now it's from seven to nine thirty but um but last semester over the summer, I had enough interest from Europe that I did one during the afternoon. And that was really fun uh, to have an international crowd. That that group had, we had one from Argentina in Buenos Aires. We had one uh, Chilean woman living in Amsterdam, Sumelo. And we also had, um, who else was in that group? Uh, my cousin was in that group, also living in Amsterdam. And, and then we had uh, two students from here, from the States. 
So you can participate from anywhere. Um, and the, the group runs three times per year at this point. Um, each session is 10, 10 sessions. And the art readings can be done at any moment. Um, I actually want to say that I'm offering free 20 minute consultations. So if anybody's interested, you can get in touch through my website and sign up for a conversation with me just to get started or see if you think it's worth it. Um, uh, but I wanted to offer that to you here. Otherwise, the groups, the pack groups are going to be uh, starting again in January. Very cool. Um, and also, just in case I, you know, a lot of times I hear people worried that they may feel old, too old for the group. Like if 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 most of the people in the class are really young, uh, what's the age range of people that come to your classes? Yeah, actually, um, I have some really amazing older students uh, who have been working with me for years. I, I started in continuing education. I still teach in continuing education at SVA, and so some of my students are, are um, working with me in the pack now from there. The age range is probably from about 30, I would say, until mid-70s at the moment. Um, of course, it changes from semester to semester, but, but it's a pretty wide age range, and I, I actually love that intergenerational um, effect that happens. The conversations become much more rich in that way. I agree. That's my favorite part about the art world is that really in in at least among artists, age doesn't really matter. But I think, you know, obviously in the world it does to people, but um I love that it's so multi-generational. I think that's a really special part of the art world. Like you you don't really retire. <laughs> yeah, completely. We all get parents and kids. Excuse yeah, me. Exactly. I feel like we all get a chance to have <laughs> connection to the other generation. Yeah, we can have our art mom and dad and then our art kids too. And they might be older or younger than you, your kids. You don't know. <laughs> That's true. That's also true. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to mention that if anyone was interested in finding out more about the pack, you could go to Sarah's um, Clubhouse profile to click on her face. And then her Instagram link is there. And just go to her link tree and you can get a link to their, their site. Or go to my Instagram. The first slide of my grid shows um, a little bit more information about everybody. But thank you so much, Sarah. That was really cool to hear. Thank you so much. Um, and I just wanted to remind everybody that you're in Pep Talks for Artists tonight. We're talking to three um, uh, amazing professionals who run really cool alternative art schools. And we're just kind of finding out all about them tonight. And then last but definitely not least, I'd love to come to Catherine, Catherine Haggerty of the NYC Crit Club. Hello, Catherine. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing good. I'm doing well. Um, just finishing a crazy day of running around the city and teaching at, speaking of this conversation, multiple places slash running things. So um, this is a ironic and good way to end the evening, um, but I'm doing great. Um, thank you for having me and organizing this, um, Amy and Jennifer. Thank you. Of course, I'm excited to hear more about your program, and I know you had a really busy day, so thank you for joining us tonight. Oh, no, no, it's all good. Okay. So um, I wanted to introduce Catherine Haggerty, who is herself an artist and an amazing painter, um, but she runs the NYC Crit Club um, that, on, I took this from your website, so apologies, but um, it supports post-school classes. And what that means is after BFA or after MFA classes, um, mostly on Zoom for emerging artists and offers BIPOC scholarships, which I thought was really cool. 
Um, and you also offer both group and independent study and have also added a one-month residency in Bushwick. So a lot of exciting, cool things um, to offer. Um, I was wondering if you could talk, well, I guess I wanted to just say really quick that some of the classes I noticed on your website were um, art career intensive, uh, group critiques with a guest artist or critic, a seminar in theory with our own beloved Jennifer Coates, and visiting critic program. So all those classes seem really, really fun or interesting to me. Um, I just wanted to ask, when did you come up with the idea for the New York City um, NYC Crit Club? Um, thank you, Amy. So the, the short of history is a little longer, um, but we've been running the organization, my friend Hillary Doyle and I, for five years, so since 2017. And although 2020 was predominantly online, the New York City Crit Club has always been in person. Um, and for four years, we ran roving uh, studio visit critique programs throughout um, the five boroughs, sometimes Jersey City, Queens, you know, um, South Brooklyn, what have you, Manhattan. Um, and we were always in person and we were always New York centered, hence the name New York City Crit Club. Um, and, and predominantly also the name comes from the fact that it was centered off of one core course, which was, you know, sort of a postgraduate, post-school level critique program um, made by artists for artists. Um, and it was in person and my friend Hillary Doyle did the first iteration in 2017 summer with like one class of 15 or something and then asked me to co-critique the class with her, co-run it with her at the Abrams Arts Center in 2017 in the fall. And after I joined the program and we decided to kind of brainstorm and cut out this sort of center which was charging us a lot of money for rent and, and essentially making it a really difficult class to organize at an ethical rate we decided to run it ourselves. And so we began creating spreadsheets and documents about how to traverse people's studios to avoid the higher rent of having a, a brick and mortar, but also have the same level of dialogue. So that was 2017 and 2018, we ran three classes and 2019 we ran six. And then we just kept going up and up. And then of course the pandemic changed things for us. And so we went online in the middle of the semester in March of 2020, like everyone did. And we were running six classes at the time in New York in person. Um, and then we went online. And then from that summer, we have just totally shifted the entire program out of necessity and demand. And so we are now running 22 classes this fall, um, 10 in person, 10 online. Um, and so we have a brick and mortar in Bushwick that we finally deep dived and done. And um, now we have a space that's giant and has beautiful walls that we can have critiques and seminars and our history classes and you name it. And then also have a central place to meet, but also, of course, keeping a ton of Zoom classes. So we're really proud of that. But um, that it has expanded every year. There's not a year that we have done this that we have not adapted to what is needed and what is desired. So it's really changed a lot since those first iterations. So those first iterations were so different than how it is now. And I don't think in a bad or good way, but just um, it's truly been a grassroots effort from the beginning. So um, that's kind of how it started. And then has the pandemic then shifted your your um, your students? Have, have the students now brought, are they ranging more broadly outside of the city? Or are they mostly city? So, 
Yeah, no, so totally. So I, I think one thing, and this is more philosophical, I, I generally don't refer to anybody in the program as a student because one of the things about being a, an alternative art program slash art school is that I'm really interested in reinvigorating this idea of collaboration with a classroom or with a group of people that want to learn together. And so so just, just for clarification, I usually try to just say these are the artists that I get to work with. And I, I just say that because I think it sort of reflects the philosophy of just collaborative learning, but also understanding that the people I, that we get to work with are, are really, you know, just at a completely different place than the institution sets up for all of us in, in higher ed and, and, um, and undergrad. Um, but yeah, since we joined Zoom, basically right away, we went from six classes in person to 14 online. And so people had heard about it for whatever reason on Instagram and other resources. And yeah, thankfully joined. So um, our Zoom classes for a whole year really just doubled and doubled and tripled and tripled. And we just kept trying to fill the demand, but also not doing too much for ourselves. So yeah, we have artists all across Amer the North America, of course, and then Europe as well. So um, it's pretty international at this point. That's awesome. I mean, because that really opens up the resources to more people. Um, and then I've noticed so much uh, that you get a really amazing uh, group of visiting artists. And I think, you know, most people, they're just very well-esteemed, well-respected artists, almost like artists, artists in the community. Um, how, mm -hmm. do you, how do you find um, people to come at least and do a guest a visit to the artists in your program? So it just depends. We have a visiting critic program, which I designed about a year and a half ago in the midst of the pandemic. And one of the things I designed was thinking sort of a, a like a level of fatigue of, of being the sort of leader in the conversation and trying to steer and kind of guide and moderate and thinking that, you know, I'd love to have a co-teacher. So I designed a program where someone would join me every week that I really respected, that I revered, that I thought was interesting and dynamic and they would join me in critique with the class. So, of course, everyone is welcome to talk. Everyone's welcome to chat in the chat room or um, take themselves off mute and say they agree or disagree. But I decided to think that I think it'd be great to have two voices. And this is something you don't see in higher education because it's a cost issue. But because Crick Club is, like, just really not a, a, a too largely a for-profit organization, it's been running for five years, and I think it's been, like, at a negative deficit for five years. Um, it's really a community project. And I think the, um, the capacity to flex things and how things run um, is, is important. And so developing the visiting credit program was thinking, I'd like to have two voices on the call that can help steer different directions and disagree. So I developed that program about the idea of the best facets of graduate school that I remember, which were lectures, visiting artist lectures, and the visits that you got after. And I, I liked other things just fine, but I always love those moments of listening to like a 20, 30 minute lecture. So I designed a class based off that idea. Um, and so we do a lot of phone calls. I do a lot of outreach and some people I know personally and some people I definitely don't know and I have to foster relationships. So the organization is just a ton of outside work other than the planning and the logistics. But um, it's like, can I get DDA William on the call? Can I get Amy Selman? Can I get Rebecca Morgan? Like who can I get that can be an impact that otherwise 15 people on this call would never maybe get the opportunity to show their work or listen to a private artist talk in a Q&A. And so, you know, it takes a lot of um, networking, essentially, and negotiation and phone calls. But I really think 
it's one of the most exciting parts of the program and it's definitely the hardest part, but um, it's always worth it, so. And I love that the artists also that, the artists and critics that come are very diverse. Um, you know, you really mm -hmm. are sampling from everyone. And I think um, it's great that you're allowing all these voices to come in and, you know, cross-pollinate with everyone else. Yeah, thank you, Amy, for noticing that and mentioning that. I mean, I think we've always tried to be, um, to you know, I used to run an artist-run gallery called Ortegi Gasset Projects for a few years in 2017 or 18, 19. And it was a great experience, and I learned a lot. And what I learned is that proximity matters. And so when I curated shows, it's like, yeah, like you're a tired artist. You're, you're paying for curating a show. Like who do you give an opportunity to, right? And there's this sort of like, proximity that can infiltrate the art world, right? Like, who should you give a show to? And I think that there's something valid about that. Like, there's something good about that, that you trust this person. Like, let's give them a show. Let's invest in their work. But the, the actual labor comes from finding new networks and finding new critics and interviewing them and having Zoom calls and, you know, being open to submissions of faculty. I mean, this is the work of what it takes to make the program different and to make it forward thinking. So I could rely on all my networks or I could outreach. I could constantly network and try to think, who can I get in the conversation that I otherwise don't know personally? So we really try to have as many different voices as we can from all different perspectives in the program, both in faculty and critics, so that, um, you know, the, the artists in the program can have different examples of what it means to be successful or not be successful or challenge ideas of success. So um, proximity matters because you trust those people and that's so important, but also opening up opportunities to let people you don't really know take over and help you co-create a class is really important too. So we've learned a lot from that and it's a necessity that honestly is labor. You know, it's, t it's a ton of time, but it's part of the philosophy of the program is to let other people have a say and let other people, um, help influence the dialogue as opposed to just two people because, we certainly don't teach the classes anymore. Um, we, we each teach one or two, but there's 20 other classes that need to be led, and we need to pick people that can offer a different voice, and that's sort of an ethical obligation. Yeah, and also so much more meaningful. I mean, for me, also as like a woman artist, having women professors, like you start to see a model that you feel like things are possible. And the same goes with for yeah. diversity. Um, it can, you know, just, it can just be that extra little oomph that makes somebody think they can do it and their voice is valid. Yeah, that's a great point, Amy. I mean, I didn't have too many female professors growing up. Um, with the few I did, I really always was excited about. I remember Wendy White was a guest faculty member for me, Suzanne Jolson, Honolina Rogberg, like all these people really made a difference. But I also had great experiences with so many of the male professors. So it's, you know, you have to just pick your battles and do the best you can. And, you know, one of the things that's, I think, really important to mention about the program is that it does cost money to be in a class, but there's no one that's ever been turned away if you can't pay um, the super subsidized rate of which classes cost with New York City Crit Club, like ever. It's never happened. It never will. So we have BIPOC scholarships. Um, we totally believe that people should be able to have a subsidized or free, you know, tuition to offer themselves inclusion into an art world that doesn't otherwise allow diverse voices. And so we have everything built in place at the expense of our own exhaustion, but truly like to make it more equitable. And we also have opportunities for people that are just maybe perhaps stressed out or low income to be able to take a class and do what we refer to as a kind of a work study TA role, 
where they help manage Instagram or, you know, keep time and credits, do little things that help the class run better, also in a more democratic way. But so that no one's excluded, but it also feels like more community driven as opposed to authority driven. Um, and so this makes sure that no matter what, we can run the program, but we can also, this is a larger issue that I know I'm sure Sarah and, Jen, and Jennifer and Patty and, and you also understand as well as many people in the audience. But the issue of employment is a huge thing that in the last year I've decided that like this program can offer inclusion and high level critique, sure, and dialogue. But like I see so many of my friends that are just phenomenal painters and drawers and sculptors and video artists doing adjunct work that just pays them like kind of garbage. And one thing that Hillary and I have worked really hard on, at, again, at the expense of any potential benefit to us is paying ethically, paying above college wage. And so this is something we're working incredibly hard at, again, really truly to the expense of our time, but because I want to build a better world for the high talented, amazing colleagues I have in the art world. Um, that if the average adjunct wage is $78 an hour, which like ostensibly is, you can make $125 an hour at least in leading a class for us and you are not taken advantage of and you don't have to do too much admin. But there's like a larger ethical issue of the alternative art program or alternative art school. And it's not just who gets to take a class, but it's also like employment has become something in the last year and a half I've been thinking critically about like how do I possibly... Um, you know, subsidize or pay for someone's intellectual property. Like I've developed courses for SVA and Rutgers and FIT and all these other schools. And I've developed courses that make them a lot of money and I've never, of course, gotten paid for it. But, you know, at what level can we, who are running programs, help people feel valued, even if it's not as much as they deserve, but just getting closer to what artists deserve. So that's a really huge part of the program too. And I just want to say that because that's one of the reasons why it's kind of complex. It's not just, I've got this thing, take a class, it's cool. It's it's creating a sort of more sustainable life for the artist as educator, but also the artist as artist. So it's something I, I feel really passionate about being someone that gets a measly check for teaching a class that I built from scratch for a university. So that's something that I think we as artists can change, and I'm. This conversation echoes that. So, yeah, all this, um, all these things are very inspiring to me. I'm just um, really wowed by all, all three of you and what you've done because there, there is a lot of taking advantage. I mean, the adjuncts alone is a whole issue of how people are treated. Um, but then also students. Sometimes you know you're in. A, a college program and a lot of those classes are just at least in my experience were kind of meaningless and I agree with you that the best parts were the visiting artists the critiques you know um some of the there were maybe parts that were great but parts that weren't as great so I love that you've kind of cherry-picked the best parts of school and add those on as an extension of what you might have already had in traditional schooling but, Thank you, Amy. Yeah, I mean, it's always a work in progress, and it's certainly not. And it's also great to hear, like, Patty and Sarah, like, I love both of your projects. I, you know, I also just, you know, really want to say, like, I really believe in sharing projects that work for different people. And I'm a huge fan of other people that learn how to figure out different ways to do things. So I'm, I'm always happy to be in dialogue with people that do other projects. And I think it's really important for us to support each other. So I'm I'm super happy to just chat and listen uh, going on. So thank you so much, Amy and Jennifer.
Thank you. And um, everyone, please know that you can find more information about the NYC Crit Club. Um, if you go to, I think, Catherine, is your Instagram linked? Let me just double check. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I just yes. didn't have um, Crit good. Club linked, but I have my personal Instagram, which is in my bio. Crit Club is linked. And, you know, if, if anyone wants to, we're running session two. Um, we ran two fall semesters, session one, session two. And the enrollment for session two kind of... Um, begins or sort of ends this upcoming week um so this week and so if you want to register and enroll like you can click click the link in the bio and check out the courses we have i think seven online and five in person in bushwick so oh wonderful and then before we move off of near nyc crit club we have one of their teachers right here or oh, not teachers but visiting artists yeah jen um and Jennifer, can you do you want to tell us about your class seminar in theory that you're doing with NYC Crit Club? Actually, um, this this session I'm teaching a um, a group critique class, um, a six week session. I I did the um, the seminar um, last semester, and um, I just have to say I I really love working um, with Catherine. Um, I believe in all of the things you just talked about, Catherine. It's great to hear you articulate them so clearly. Um, also great to learn about the options at the other schools, Patty and Sarah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Catherine and Hillary really built a strong, um, organized, very, very organized situation. So as an adjunct, um, you know, who, like Catherine said, usually when you're adjuncting at universities, you're building these classes and doing so much research and, um, you know, not necessarily getting compensated for it. So the, the classes are sort of pre-structured. You can, you know, plug in the content that you want to, but a lot of, a lot of the, um, you know, quote-unquote legwork has been taken care of, um, and I really, really appreciate that. So the outside work is kept to a minimum. Um, but as far as the experience of teaching, I did my first class on Zoom, and I just loved it. I mean, it was just really cool to teach people from different um, different states, different areas that we could all connect together, and totally diverse backgrounds. And the feel of the class was really collaborative, like Catherine was saying, um, and I felt that I learned well, I always feel like I learn just as much from my students as, you know, hopefully they do from me. But really, for sure, it felt that way this time. And so the critique class I'm doing now, it's like two hours once a week. And um, everyone gets a chance to show their work. And the Bushwick studio is really beautiful. Plenty of room um, for, you know, two or three people to show. They bring their work in. Yeah, they bring their work in. Um, so, you know, it has to be pretty, you have to be pretty local. Um, but it's, it's really wonderful. It just feels warm. I feel like I'm with, you know, friends, like I'm getting to know uh, people on a friend level. Um, they don't feel like students. And um, it feels very meaningful to them to connect. And I think that's the whole point of these um, independent, um, non-institutional, non-academic art 
programs is that like it's really voluntary you know i think something psychological happens to you when you you're like i applied for my mfa and you know i'm spending all this money and here i am and then there's this weird thing that happens where you kind of don't want to do it or you resent it i mean i've seen this happen with mfa students as well as undergrad there's a there's a sort of weird resistance that gets built up and um i think uh, my experience at the Crit Club is everybody really wants to be there and they're really savoring it and they're really making the most of it. So that's extremely meaningful to me um, as the person who's kind of corralling everyone together. It just makes it a lot more fun. Thank you, Jennifer. That was so nice to hear your feedback. It's <laughs> just so sweet. Thank you. We, Your class is very popular and I, I wish I was in it. And I mean that like really genuinely like I wish I was in I wish I just had more time but I'm just a little busy but I I love the idea like I've taken a class with Patty like I really love this idea of cross-pollination of learning and supporting other artists and programs and I think it's really important and I I'm never above learning like I 100% respect I love Sarah's drawing program like I was looking at it the other day and I was like I want to be in that class and I think there's just something so cool about that but Jen I appreciate you echoing some good vibes about it and um you know, one last thing I'll say just in closing is that the labor is an issue and the time is an issue in the art world. It's not just the class cost or if someone can take it, but um, the level of feeling like you volunteer your hours outside of class to prepare for a class that you're being paid to teach is, is an ethical imperative that I want to address. And so we do organize a lot of the infrastructure, but we also always allow for for people as amazing as Jennifer to be like, no, this is the content I want to cover. And I'm like, great. Well, I'll make sure your drive links and your slideshows correlate, but Jennifer can take the lead. And, but you know, I've done so many jobs where like people just, they give me the class and I have absolutely no idea what's happening. Like, I don't even know if I'm allowed to take a field trip. I don't know if, I don't even know how to log into my email and the adjunct world just doesn't serve the level of artists that can help the artists. And so we have just been trying to take the burden of the admin off a little bit, if possible. So you, you're going to get the best level of artist critique if you can get the best, you know, situation for learning. And that amounts to also taking care of the faculty so that they're not tired and bitter. So that's, it's a positive situation. And very novel, very novel attitude, because it doesn't seem to be, like, uh, everyone who's an adjunct, has a similar story to tell about how they've been just wrung dry. So it's a very positive thing to hear that you're trying to make changes. Um, I, I wanted to invite the audience up if they would like to ask a question um, about any of the programs they've heard about tonight. Um, so please raise your hand. You just press the little hand in the bottom right of your screen and then we'll bring you up to the stage and, and you could ask a question. Or, or if you guys have questions for each other, I mean, Amy, if you don't mind, I, um, I'd love to just add on to what Catherine was saying, because I think like so much of what Catherine, you you touched on was so important, but particularly, I think the idea of like time and resources and collaboration, because that's the like, that is the thing that I think we all have seen um both in our experience and with the people with the artists that we work with that is such a pressing concern like there isn't enough time we take these courses um 
we don't um there there's there's a lot uh there's a lot to know out there and i think there's also um just a um a lack of resources so the fact that i think nyc crick club is um working to address some of those structural problems is really important when it comes to um, adjuncts because that is not a sustainable um, way to live and i think that like that's something that we see um, i think like across the country where people are working these um, artists are working these jobs and they don't pay off and they they don't provide a sustainable life and i do think that the answer has to come or or will come from artists themselves and i think that's like you know part of i think the philosophy of network is that if we pool our resources we are stronger together so there's a lot of collaboration both in the group critiques and in our community discord about how we can share our knowledge and you know do things be more successful in the endeavors that we that we do but also like save ourselves some fucking time right like because that's the thing that we don't have a lot of and we need more of yeah and i, I wanted to mention also um to second this idea of collaboration and also talk a little bit more about alternative art school in the sense of of like kind of changing the guard and taking over this faulty system that we're all all adjuncts are, you know, in, in no small way abused by. Um, but I think the future is really going to be now with the internet, because there have always been alternative art schools, but I think now with the internet, when you can access so many at once, it's really like studying um, here and there. Like I know that I have students who are in all three of our programs and I send people constantly to Crit Club and and to workshop since it's since I've known about it, and um, and I think that that's a really beautiful thing because also um, rather than applying and, and enrolling in a school for two or four years, you can come back, you can cycle through, and depending on where you're at, you can choose the program that fits that stage of your career better or fits that stage of your cycle better. Because let's face it, there's like a million cycles for artists. And, um, and yeah, I just think that's a really beautiful new model. And Catherine, I'm super inspired by your ability to hire and treat faculty well. Um, I mean, just the fact that you're doing it proves so much that, that this is possible, which we have always known it's possible. But, um, but I really thank you for doing that. I think it's really inspiring. Well, thank you, Sarah. And also, and thank you to Patty for echoing in here. I mean, I can't say it enough, but I refer people all the time to other programs. I never depart from scarcity. I'm never worried about people coming back. I just want genuinely the kind of help I wish I got 10 years ago when I entered the art world or whatever, the New York art world. I was been doing this for a long time. But, you know, this issue of time is like such an issue. It's not just the money. It's the time. It's like, let's say you get into Ohio State or Rutgers MFA and they're all fully funded you still have to take out loans to function for two years with like little income. And this idea of Sarah, to your point of like coming in and out, like maybe you just need one great class to like re and maybe you need a, a workshop with Patty Johnson. Like maybe you just need like to hone in your Guggenheim fellowship application. Like I'm not sure, but these are things that like, I, I, I have two graduate degrees, which is embarrassing. And I was never taught one of them. 
And I just feel so compassionate about that. And I feel like it's so cool that other people are starting programs that help in different ways. And I really, truly feel like it's better to collaborate. And I'm so excited to buy these programs. And time is a commodity. It's not just money. It's not just, you know, but time is a class issue. And who can go to the art openings? Who can network? Who can, you know, who can take off a year to go to Skowhegan or like a summer? And these are issues that have to be addressed. So if, you know, if we can, we should try. So that's all. Um, thank you all for that. That was fascinating to, I just love uh, hearing you guys talk about these new ideas. Um, somewhat mind blowing and I'm, I'm really, um, excited about it all. Um, I wanted to welcome Christina to the stage. Hello, Christina. Hi, Amy. Um, hello everyone. I just wanted to say how much I truly, truly enjoyed this evening's conversation. Um, I love meeting like-minded people. Like that's just all kind of change and make the art world a more inclusive and better place um, for everyone to succeed. And I really believe strongly that's in doing this together. And um, I just think you guys all have your hearts in the right place. And I would highly encourage anyone <laughs> to work with any of you. So um, I just want to say congratulations and thank you so much for sharing tonight. Thank you. I second that, Christina. I think that there's a, uh, there are programs sometimes that I see pop up, and I do feel like they uh, they have a predatory feeling. But these three people, I solidly back as offering really wonderful, helpful um, courses or advice or coaching, and I would recommend all three. They they're not in that category at all. Thank you, Amy. So Amy and Jennifer, I just have a quick question for you two. Your pep talks for artist project, like how how did that start? And also like, how is it going? Like what's what's happening? I mean, I think it's such a great idea to have this level of informal but serious feedback on pep talks or what does it mean for a pep talk? Well, Amy, do you want to answer that? I guess I'll go first and then you could finish up. Okay. Sorry, um, I always, I feel the same way that you guys were speaking of that the art, the artist path is really, really hard. Um, and so I would make these zines often, which I call like artist self-help zines, but they're basically like, um, quotes from artists complaining about how crappy their career was going, but they were like famous artists. So you would laugh about it. It would be like Matisse, et cetera. And I got them from reading artist biographies. And so I'd make these little zines and hand them out to people as they came to a studio visit or something just to cheer them up because it's so hard out here. Um, and so with Clubhouse, I just started it one night on a lark with the same kind of idea that I was going to talk about a topic that we all feel and try to um, share some of my research that I use to make myself feel better um, on the clubhouse. And it was super scary. And then Jennifer joined the next time. And then it was, we were off to the races. We were having a marvelous time together. And we just kept coming up with other things that we all worry about. Like Jennifer, do you remember we did like anxiety, uh, pre and post show anxiety. These are things that we all feel like we're crazy about, but it's commonly shared. That was a good one. <laughs> um, there's been so many fun ones, but I, I just wanted to say that 
Yeah, like I was pretty new to Clubhouse and Amy and I met through a group show we were both in and there was a discussion and Amy totally showed me the Clubhouse ropes and invited me to um, co-host this with her and I've been doing it for the past, it's been six months, right Amy? Yeah, Almost. we're nearing like 30 episodes, so there's been a lot. Yeah, so, and and I just, I've loved every second, but actually, Catherine, this is going to be um, my last, my last um, pep talk on Clubhouse, and um, because my life right now has gone back to pre-pandemic busyness levels, and um, I do play in a couple of different bands, and rehearsals are ramping up, and I've got a show coming up, and um you know, just trying to balance everything out. And um, also Amy is going to be sort of transforming and morphing the show into something new, which I am super excited about. But I just wanted to say shout out to Amy. You are amazing. And this has just been so, so, so much fun. And I feel like you're one of my favorite people to run all kinds of art career um neuroses and complaints and whatever you're like my go-to person now so that's a pretty cool outcome same right back at you I feel like I could say anything like my weird brain could come up with the most bizarre analogy for being an artist and you would be right there with me like yeah I totally get that like you would <laughs> You I love hang. it. I love all your theories, <laughs> all of your your ways of, of imagining the structures of the art world. They're all hilarious. Well, the reason you can hang is because you also think that way. So that's been a pleasure to just mind meld with you, both our weird brains, and come up with crazy ways to see the like make make light of the hardships of being an artist together in our own weird way. So that's been a really special. Um, thing about pep talks doing it with you because it's not just something you can do with anybody I mean really you and I have this really fun chemistry I think it's very unique yeah and and our whole our whole shtick is we never we've never met in we've person still met. to this day and as we say many many times we both have a cat we both have cats named Heldy yeah. okay so I mean there's some kind of cosmic connection between Amy and I it is pure magic Yes. And so although this is somewhat of a goodbye, it's not goodbye forever because Pep Talks will be um, experimenting with podcasting. So and I'm we're hoping that Jennifer will come on to the podcast often um, and I'm learning apps and all kinds of hard things. But I feel like I've I'm making progress. So hopefully that'll be released soon. Um, so it's, we're going to try to have some pep talks here and there on Clubhouse and then also have the the podcast. So uh, stay tuned for more info. Not that anybody asked about um, my cat. Uh, but because the word cat was used, I feel I have to say that <gasps> Catherine introduced me to oh, the no. cat that I have. Oh, no. And she is actually in oh, my no. office as we oh, speak. No. Oh, oh, my being God. adorable. I love, I love it. We're all connected by cats. Oh, my God. I we can't. are. Betty, thank you so much for bringing that up. I was going to do that, but then I was like, that's unprofessional. Don't bring that up. But... <laughs> Okay, everyone <laughs> and saved 
this kitten from the backyard in Bushwick after I first saved it. But really, she saved it because she gave it a forever home. And my husband, Andrew, and I live in Bushwick. And during the pandemic in 2020, when we didn't leave our tiny, horrible apartment, we looked outside and we became like best pals with all these feral cats. We fed them, we loved them, and there was this one particular cat that I was like, she's not feral, she is totally a house cat. And I lured her in, I hugged her, I pet her, she became like someone in my kitchen, and then I finally captured her when we knew we were leaving the shitty apartment. I was like, I'm gonna give her to this adoption place. And long story short, Patty, listen to my Instagram stories, so bless you, Patty, and you, you followed up, and you have given this little kitten a beautiful life. So we are connected forever. So thank you so much for helping Brittany the cat, who's now out of the cat. So thank oh, you. I wish you could um, replace your profile picture with your cat so we could PTR <laughs> and see it. But if not, like pop it on your Instagram story or something. I yeah, like put, put her on this story just for what everyone on this, this whole thing will watch your stories. And you see can delete it tomorrow morning. Cat. We'll just go watch it. Oh, now. I'll totally do that. <laughs> Oh my god. Thank you, Patty. It like brought tears to my eyes when you adopted her. I was just like advocating for this poor feral cat and I was like, go figure, the art writer, art friend I have in the world is going to adopt her and now she's happy, so thank you. She's the sweetest cat and we have um we have become we were dog people and we're <laughs> now we're now we're cat people. Oh right to on. The world. <laughs> I love that um, artists are so big hearted to like that little cat was never going to be left in the cold. Oh, my God. No, I just used to pick her up and pet her. And like she used to hang out with me while I was cooking dinner. And like her little butt would sit in the window shield and it was cold. And I'd be like writing essays on painting. And then she would just sit there with me. And now she's with Patty. So like look at the synergy of the art world. See, like when you're generous and inclusive, it can be like super beautiful. So I am so happy. Maybe she'll shadow box one of my classes or something like that, or she'll show up, but <laughs> she's in a good place. So thank you, Patty. Well, if there's no more questions, I just wanted to thank um, our guests, uh, Patty Johnson, Catherine Haggerty, and Sarah Grass so much for all their time they gave tonight to tell us about their really amazing programs. Um, they're all unique. Um, but really cool. And, and I think what you said, Catherine, there's a spirit of generosity in them that is what attracted me and really wanted me to learn, uh, learn more tonight about what you guys offer. Um, so everyone, please check them out. Um, you can see more on their Instagrams if you'd like. Um, but other than that, I guess we're going to wrap up. Um, any closing comments, Jennifer? I love you. Oh. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> Well, we'll miss you, but we'll see you on the podcast, Jennifer. Yep, you bet. I know you can do it through Zoom, so it's actually not that intimidating. That's perfect. Yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> all right. Well, good night, everyone. And thank you all so much for joining us, for listening, and to our esteemed panel. And thank you, Christina, for coming up with a great question. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Thanks everyone. So for Bye, Bye. Patty, Jennifer, Amy, everyone. Talk to you soon, hopefully. Yes, hope so. Bye. Bye. Good night. Bye, everyone. Good night. Thank you. You've been listening to Pep Talks for Artists. 
Thank you so much to our guests who gave their generous time to tell us all about their wonderful programs. If you'd like to check out our Instagram, please find us at Pep Talks for Artists. We really appreciate you stopping by, and we'll see you next time. A special thanks to Frank Bango at Sincerity Incorporated for his help making this episode. Good night. Thank you.